Amen. Amen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. That didn't fade with time or over the centuries. That is still God's will. So I'm inviting the Gallopos to join me on the platform as we share with you about our trip to Israel. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, this trip was first planned in 2017 by the Western Great Lake District. That's the state of Wisconsin and the UP of Michigan. And because of some security issues, it was determined at that time uh, a little too dangerous to go. The idea was to take pastors from the state of Wisconsin over to Israel to expose them uh, to that which many of us have studied for a lifetime. And uh, uh, that was good because that allowed then the Gallipos to uh, also be a part of this venture two years later. And uh, we traveled to Israel uh, January 14th through the 23rd a few weeks ago. Uh, it is 6,100 miles from Sheboygan to Jerusalem. And I just want to say a big, big thank you to begin with uh, for the church providing this incredible gift uh, for us to be able to go. Uh, thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for believing. Uh, thank you for blessing us with this. While there, we traveled from Capernaum, which is located on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was the base of Jesus' activities as we read the Gospels, uh, this rather small town, actually. Uh, but it was also the hometown of Peter, James, John, Andrew, and that rascal tax collector named Matthew. That's right. So we traveled from Capernaum in the north to the Dead Sea in the south, and the Dead Sea is the lowest place on the earth. Uh, along the way, we visited places like Caesarea, Nazareth, the Mount Carmel, uh, Megiddo, where the last battle will take place, Bethlehem. Uh, we spent four days in and around Jerusalem uh, looking at uh, all that uh, that part of the world has to offer. And so uh, from uh, roughly 80,000 people on their Independence Day, uh, which is in 1948, the regathering of the nation of Israel, uh, their population is now 8.9 million people. So do the math on that one. Uh, it's roughly the size of the state of New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey also has a population of 9 million, so very similar then uh, to uh, New Jersey. Now, here's some facts about Israel that I found interesting. Israelis have a life expectancy of 82 years, which is considerably longer than America. Uh, relative to its size, Israel is the largest immigrant-absorbing nation on earth. It has absorbed 350% of its population in the last 60 years. Israel has more Nobel Prizes per capita than the United States, France, Germany, or anybody else. About 93% of Israeli homes use solar energy for water heating. 93%. The highest percentage in the world is cell phone, voicemail technology, antivirus computer software, your latest Intel chip, all developed in Israel. How many of you have a cell phone? When you look at that, be reminded that came from Israel. And the technology delivered there. Israel is the only country to revive an unspoken language and establish it as its national language. What is the national language of Israel? Correct. The glue on Israeli stamps is kosher, by the way. Just thought I'd remind you that. <laughs> After 15 years of development, an Israeli inventor is now building the world's first flying car. 
It's expected to be on the market next year, 2020. Guess what the price tag is? Just throw out a number. $14 million. Thank you very much. Get in line for that one. Okay, it is pretty cool, though. It is pretty cool. Uh, Israel is the only country in the world that has the same name, is located in the same land, and speaks the same language as it did 3,000 years ago. The only place on earth where you're going to find this kind of history because God is the center. Israel is the only nation on earth to draft women into the military. They are conscripted. Everyone is required to serve in the Israeli military. Uh, I personally enjoy traveling uh, to countries where there's lots of assault rifles. It's fun. No, seriously. I feel very, very secure in that environment where every 18-year-old knows how to strip it down blindfolded and shoot. <laughs> uh, anyway, Israel is the only nation on earth. No, we did that. Israel is roughly half the size of Lake Michigan. That's kind of, hmm. Israel is ranked first place in the world in the survival of cancer patients. Lots of cancer research done in Israel. Israel is the only country where Starbucks chain has failed. I found that quite refreshing since I'm not a coffee or tea drinker. So there's no Starbucks. <laughs> okay, but there is coffee there. There is coffee there for coffee drinkers. Okay. There's a stars and bucks. Yes, there's a stars and bucks. They're trying. You know why Starbucks failed? Why is it the only nation in the world in which Starbucks has failed where it's attempted? Why do you think? Huh? Nope. It is too expensive. I, I agree with that. Uh, kosher? No, that's, they drink coffee there. It's a cultural it's culture. Uh, Eastern culture in many countries of the world, a coffee is uh, partaken of at the end of a meal after extensive conversation and social interaction. The whole concept of going in, buying a cup of coffee and not engaging in conversation is very foreign. Therefore, it didn't work. Huh. Maybe they have something to teach us. Yeah. Israel has more intro in vitro fertilization per capita than any other country in the world, and it's free. Those of you that are involved in IVF, it's free. <laughs> Many Jerusalem apartment leases include the stipulation that if and when the Messiah comes, the lease is void and the tenants must move out. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Uh, the Christian Mission Alliance has actually been there now for 127 years working both among Arabs and among Jews, uh, first established uh, back in 1890. This was one of the first fields the CNMA stepped into. As you know, the CNMA started in 1887, and so immediately the Holy Land, this part of the world, was a focus of the CNMA. Uh, for me, this was a unique nine days for which I am very, very grateful, in, in which history that I've studied extensively, and theology, which I've studied extensively, now comes crashing into reality. All right there. Absolutely amazing. And it's unique, as this happened, how it plays out. For example, uh, we were there over the Sabbath. Jews observed the Sabbath with great passion in Israel. So in our hotel, there's the Shabbat Sabbath elevator. 
Now, for a Jew, pushing an elevator button would be considered working on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Shabbat elevator is a guided self-tour. You get on the Shabbat elevator by mistake. It stops at every floor going up and then every floor going down. So they don't have to touch any buttons and work on the Sabbath. So culturally, it was very, very intriguing. But from a spiritual aspect, the Garden of Gethsemane was very meaningful for me. I appreciated it. Those are a couple of pictures that I got from the Garden of Gethsemane. In the background, you see the Dome on the Rock. The Dome on the Rock is not a mosque. It is a monument. There is a mosque there. That particular edifice is not a mosque. Uh, and so that is the site of Mount Moriah, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. It's a very, very holy place for Jews, Muslims, and Christians. And so uh, those trees, they told us, were uh, 2,000 years old or older, and that garden has not moved. So those were the actual trees or seedlings from the trees where Jesus prayed uh, that evening. And what was intriguing to me and what really impacted my heart is this is the view Jesus would have had, only that would have been the temple, which is a four-story structure. As he, uh, after the Passover, went to that place, the sun was setting. He would be looking into the setting sun. And as, the, as our guide suggested, uh, the shadows of the temple come across that valley. And Jesus would have been, I believe, looking right at that and thinking about Abraham, the father, sacrificing his son and praying, Dad, if this cup can pass from my hand, that would be cool. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he would be arrested there as darkness from Mount Moriah covered him. That just really spoke to me, and I wept. Thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect Lamb of God who takes upon himself my sin. Thank you. Had an opportunity to go to the Western Wall. Uh, there, uh, joining with many other pilgrims, praying for my family, praying for my church family, spending time praying there, I also wept. And you might think it's kind of weird, but in every crevice, our prayer request jammed into those rocks as people cry out to God. And you say, well, God's everywhere. What makes that special? It's not any different. And that's the truth. I do believe that. And yet God has said at that place, his presence would remain forever. It is significant. Yes, he's right here. He's, he's right here with us now. I understand all that. Uh, but there's some things that are attached to our faith, rooted in history, that just come subtly into your heart, and it breaks your heart. And I thank the Lord that it's real. And lastly, for me, the Sea of Galilee. I, I just uh, recorded this and listened to the sounds of the Sea of Galilee for a second. The same thing Jesus was looking at. The same sounds he was listening to. 
and around the Sea of Galilee, miracles performed. Amazing, amazing connection. Making faith real. So many stories brought to life in a new way. Sadly, Cindy is working at the walk-in clinic. Uh, She believes she is sent there and has a great ministry with patients, but uh, we were able to record her on video, and this is her impressions of the trip. Wonderful. And it was great to travel with the Gallipos. You said it was. <laughs> we bring the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jessica, <laughs> this trip was meaningful for you in, in several ways. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. I'd like to read um, some verses from Isaiah 43. But now, O oh Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, Bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. Hmm. And so for me, this trip um, 
It was about grace and restoration. Um, Israel is, is such a beautiful place. And when God initially brought the children of Israel into the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But they rebelled over and over again. They were dispersed. And when they became a nation again in 1948, because of thousands of years of abuse of the land, it wasn't a land flowing with milk and honey anymore. It was desert and rocks and, and honestly a place that no one in their right mind would really want to live. But God remains faithful to his promises. And when the people gathered in Israel again, um, by God's grace, they began to make the desert live again. Mm-hmm. When, um, when Israel first became a nation, the land conditions were so bad that they had to import 80% of their food. But the people got down to business, and with what I believe was God-given ingenuity, they began to make the desert bloom. And now Israel produces so much food that they export 80% of what they produce. So everywhere you look, there are lemon trees and orange trees, olive trees. Um, They've come up with these ingenious ways to make this land fruitful. And it just, we'd be driving on the bus um, every day to whatever site we were going to see, and I'd just be looking out the window, just soaking in this beauty. And I, the song that we've been singing here at Southside the last month or so Lyrics from it kept going through my head. Um, There's a river flowing from the mountain that shows our God is true. And it just, I couldn't get it out of my head um, that God gives us living water. And in Israel, they don't waste water. They don't mess around. They find ways. You, You see here some water, but in a lot of places, it just, it's not there. So they don't waste a drop. And I just thought, we, we don't have to live in that lack. God offers us an abundant supply of living water. There's no limit, except if we limit ourselves, um, if we're not seeking him. And so this, I don't want to take that for granted, that he offers us so freely um, this life-giving water that cleanses us, it refreshes us, it restores us. And so I, that's one thing that I want to just take with me, not to take that for granted, the living water that God offers us. Um, one other thing that was really meaningful for me was standing on the top of the Mount of Olives and looking down at Jerusalem. And the prophecies say that that's where Jesus will return again. And not only... When standing there looking down at Jerusalem, Jesus stood on the top of the same mountain and wept over Jerusalem. And imagining him coming back and restoring everything and all his promises will be fulfilled and Israel will be restored and we will all, we won't have to thirst for him anymore because we'll be with him in his presence forever. And so that was really meaningful for me and it's kind of crazy because almost everywhere you go, it's it's very commercial. And there's big tour buses and loads of people. And when we were on the top of the Mount of Olives, there was even a guy walking a camel back and forth. And so you have to kind of cut through that distraction. And I, I was kind of bothered by that. And then it hit me this morning that 
That's what it's like for us every day, is God is speaking and he's here, but there's all these distractions in our way, and we have to just really focus on putting that all aside and seeking after him. And um, and he's so faithful to to meet us and um, and honor that. And so I just want to thank you, um, as Pastor John and Cindy have, for allowing us this opportunity um, to go and just to walk where Jesus walked and put some of those pieces together, um, seeing seeing Bible the Bible come to life and just walking where Jesus walked was really, really meaningful, really special. Thank you, Jessica. Great. Michael. Isn't she good? I <laughs> just like it because I get choked up. <laughs> it's so good. Um, just kind of piggybacking off of something that Jess said real quick. It was the, uh, how people were gathered together. God is bringing Israel back. And something that our guide said, I think, one of the first day or two that we were there is, like, um, people think you can see what a Jew looks like. You know, like they come in Israel and you think you can spot, that's a Jew, that's an Arab. But she said, like, they are so different now and they range from the blackest black to the whitest white. They come from all nations. They speak 85 different languages. And these are all the Jews coming back to Israel. And it's just it's a really cool picture of God's redemptive grace. So um, I'm going to kind of detour a bit just in kind of not sure just the God moment, but um, Pastor John was talking about the Galilee. Sea of Galilee, which is really cool. Remember uh, when we drove in, there was like nice, you could hardly see it, but it was just what an amazing thing to be like on the Sea of Galilee, looking out, and this is where Jesus was. But we also, uh, I just stepped in the water. Um, Jess said this kind of commercialized and touristy, so we got to actually like go on the Sea of Galilee on a boat. I think it's called the Jesus boat, right? The Jesus boat. The we Jesus have the boat. certificate. We got a certificate to prove it. We had to fill it out ourselves, which, okay. Um, but while we were on the boat, um, I caught some video footage of uh, your pastor dancing. So let's uh, check that out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it right in the middle there? I was on the Jesus boat. Is that a good time? <laughs> um, but Jess mentioned like just some of the, the tourism kind of the very commercial kind of feel, and we were kind of excited as we before we got there watching this show called uh, Everybody Somebody Feed Phil, 
and looking at all the different Israeli cuisines and stuff, and we got there. And the first day we were given shawarmas and falafels, and that was our, our choice. And then the next day, and we were going to launch, and it was shawarma and falafel. And the next day, like everywhere you went, that's what you were given for lunch. That was our options, our tourist options. There's a choice. Our first day with Jess on the, go ahead, right there. And so I thought, like, we had other stuff in the morning and evening, but this was our, our lunch menu. And I thought, this is all that they had at these stops that we were going. And then we saw our guide and the driver, and they had this huge smorgasbord of other stuff that they can just have whatever they want. And we've got shawarmas and falafel. But anyway, um, Israel was cool. I found how to pronounce uh, different names. Like uh, anything, I think anything that has like a CH in it, like Zechariah is like Zechariah, Malach. Uh, Malachi, you know, like, so all these, so now when you, like, pronounce these words in the Bible, just do that extra, like, hack it up real good, and that's how they, that's how they pronounce that. Um, I'm going to just go a quick view from uh, a place called Beth Shayan, and this is, a uh, this is the view up on the, the mountaintop here, and this near the mountains of Gilboa, and this is where Solomon and Jonathan's bodies were displayed when they were killed, they brought them up to this hilltop, and they were displayed somewhere on this, but um, just kind of, again, showing the, the beauty of this place, the green, the, the hills, and the mountains everywhere, it just, it was amazing. But, um, so back to something that our our guide had kind of shared, she was a guide, she was a Jewish guide for 41 years, she'd been doing this, she was about to retire soon, um, and she shared that um, Israel really comes from two Hebrew words, um, Isra and El, which, if you know Jacob, is he was wrestling with God. It's struggle with God. Um, that's what Israel means. It comes from those two Hebrew words. And it's more than just Jacob's initial wrestling and the struggle with God, but she said that it's um, the life of Israel. It's been their existence from the beginning. It's their lifelong struggle with God. And that was um, an incredible kind of picture that uh, just kind of really hit me. And there's uh, we went through different places. There's an Israeli timeline. Uh, having a covering up. And I don't know if you can really see this, but this is like from like zero to current day, how Jerusalem Israel was conquered by the Romans, the Byzantines, the Islamic Crusaders from like 10 to 1200, uh, Mameluk, and just all these different nations that have ruled Israel. And it just kind of reinforced this whole picture. And as she's explaining this, like I'm realizing that I tend to think very finitely, like the today and the now. Um, but the reality is that it's so much bigger. And like this picture of Israel, it's not like a one-time dimension, but it's a, it shows the spiritual struggle of like the gods or spiritual forces that work over centuries and centuries of time, like millennia. So there's a much bigger picture than what I'm seeing. And uh, the, the idea that the nations are like a drop in a bucket just really stuck out mm-hmm. as she was saying that. Um, one other thing I thought was really cool was that Megiddo. We're on top of Mount Carmel, and we could see the, plant, the Megiddo. And uh, she said this is like where there's been more battles anywhere in the earth is on, on Megiddo. And what's really cool about, I don't think you're going to be able to see this on, this. on the back, like right below the clouds in the back of the thing, there's like a V. There's two airstrips that go out in like a V. And those are where like F-15s, F-16s come and go. And it's like it goes into the ground, 
So like at the, the bottom where the V comes together, like that's underground. So it's like the, these airplanes are taken off from out of nowhere. They just appear out of nowhere. And then they come back in, they just they disappear. And I was like, that is amazing. And I wanted to see one really bad, but I didn't get to. <laughs> um, but we got to just talk about the Mount of Olives. And uh, we were on there. Um, so that, that's the view. You can see the Dome of the Rock in the back. And uh, this was really, it's kind of a meaningful moment. And you can see, I don't think you can in this picture, but the East Gate where Jesus is going to go, where they believe he's going to enter through in the East Gate, but um, one of the things that our guide said was uh, Jerusalem has been the most fought over piece of land in history and has been ruled by dozens of empires and yet there's nothing inherently special about Jerusalem. Um, it's surrounded by the Judean desert, so even now where there's lush green all over like right around Jerusalem, it's just it's desert. There's no bodies of water around it that would make it valuable for trade. It's not some great kind of military position. It's nothing. But it's the city of God. God's put his mark on it. And so it, it just demonstrates, again, it's much more of a spiritual battlefield um, that Satan desires to conquer just for that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, uh, the things that hit me especially was she talked about the Crusades. Um, so some of us have like this kind of general picture of what the Crusades were like from like 10,000 to 1200 B.C. Um, and our guide said like this was some of the bloodiest times in Israel's history, you know, 200 years, um, just bloody, and all these terrible things were done under the banner of Jesus. And I just couldn't, gra I couldn't grasp, I couldn't wrap my head around that. Um, we, so here's, this is a crusader arch, and this is something that you can tell, like there's arches all over Jerusalem, but most of them are rounded at the top. The Crusader arches are different because they're kind of pointed at the top. You see how it comes more to a point? And these are like all over the city. So like everywhere that you go in there, like I think the Jews are reminded this is what was done under the banner of Jesus. This is what Christians have, have done to Jews. And, and we met with uh, uh, the Alliance missionaries. Some international workers were there. And, and they said that uh, the Jews are very resistant to the name of even hating the name of Jesus because of what's been done in his name. And uh, that just, it's hard to picture. And the thing with our, our guide, she was, she had been doing tours for 41 years. Um, she was a conservative Jew, and she knew the Bible. She knew it so good. She could articulate it so well. She knew it way more than I did. And she seemed to speak it with reverence. She talked about Jesus um, and, and the story, the, the, his teachings, and she seemed to do it reverently. And all the while, she knows all these things, but she does not believe that he's the Messiah. And that's, like, incredible to me. Like, she didn't believe that he would come and, and die like that. And what hit me, I guess, is, like, we can have all the knowledge, you know? Sometimes we make our faith all about knowledge, but we completely miss the point. We miss everything. And she's sitting with all this knowledge, all this information about Jesus, knowing his teachings and knowing what his belief he did, and she doesn't believe. And, and like she's on a path that, unless God intervenes, like it's not really going to go to a good place. And she's got a devout faith. And, and so you look at her and just the Jews in general, and you know God is going to raise them up in time. But um, just this picture, they're resistant and they're stubborn and stiff-necked yet. 
Um, and I wonder how much of that is because of crusades and, and things like that. But, but above that, just, uh, just how we can get things wrong. And we can look at the crusaders. They thought they were doing this for Jesus. They thought they were doing this for God. You know? and, and it kind of reinforced some things that I've been wrestling with just in my own life. As, far as cultural blinders that we have. Even in today, we look 200 years ago into uh, slavery and things like that. And how Christians thought that was okay. And we could treat slaves how we wanted to. And, and that was okay. And, you know, I just, it, it's so much more than knowledge. And our faith has got to be more about just what we read in the Bible. Because really, if we're honest, we can twist it into a saying or like whatever mm-hmm. we wanted to. But our faith has to be centered around the life of Jesus and um, rooted in him and his teachings and in his character. Because it, it's so easy to come in and look at Christianity through the spiritual blinders or the cultural blinders that we have not even recognized sin for what sin is. Um, just looking like politically, how you got two sides calling themselves Christians and they just can't even talk because they're so blinded by their own ideas of reality. And like I don't, like I want to come and I want to look at, at Jesus and allow him to expose a lot of the things that I have just come to accept in my own head. And I just as a church, like we've got to go past the point of truth and really let it penetrate our hearts. Um, so it just is very, that was a big takeaway for me. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff I could tell you, but mm. I've probably taken too much time already. But, but thank you again so much. This was um, an incredible experience. It was something I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm going to Israel and uh, just be where all this stuff happened. And I thought, I had thought I was going to, if I ever got to do it, I'd be a really old guy. Um, but I got to do it when I was fairly young, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, church. It was uh, intriguing that a group of Alliance pastors from Wisconsin go there, and it snowed in Jerusalem for the first time in a decade. <laughs> Yahoo! So we didn't get away from it either. <laughs> uh, but we want to uh, be reminded again of our Jewish heritage. And on Palm Sunday, uh, we are bringing in Jews for Jesus to do a Seder meal, a Passover meal for us. Uh, and we had to book this like a year and a half in advance uh, to get a date on the calendar. So this Palm Sunday is going to be very significant, I think, for us as a church, especially coming into Easter. We're going to have a whole new understanding of what Jesus has done, uh, not just for us in praying our sinner's prayer, but what it means to the entire world and the Jewish people. So uh, that's going to be on April 14th, Palm Sunday. Uh, looking forward to uh, how we're going to lo- learn again uh, the fact that uh, our roots are Jewish. And uh, we're so grateful Messiah has come and he's coming again. Right? So uh, on behalf of all of us, uh, thank you, gang. Uh, thank you. And thank you, Gallopos. Uh, for your participation. They are great world travelers. Uh, 